Welcome to season two of Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavidar, a podcast series from Partners Connected Health. I'm your host, Joe Kavidar. Join me as we embark on another exciting season of interesting and thought-provoking conversations with the leaders, disruptors, and innovators who are redefining the future of technology-enabled health and wellness. What would Lisa Soonan say? That's the question she asks and answers as part of her role as a venture capital investor and healthcare industry advisor, focusing on healthcare IT, medical technology, healthcare services, and especially where these fields converge in digital health. Of course, much of the innovation we're seeing in digital health is being fueled by venture capital. It is a critical part of the foundation upon which we are building the market. For our part at Partners Connected Health, we're supporting entrepreneurs and early stage companies in several ways, from research and consulting initiatives, to help test promising technologies and guide young companies in the product development and implementation. At the Connected Health Conference in October, we also hosted our annual Health Tech Standout Competition, shining a spotlight on 10 of the most innovative products and services in digital health. We received nearly 90 applications and our expert panel of judges selected the top 10. Not an easy job. That to a large extent is what Lisa Soonan is all about. As managing partner of Venture Valkyrie, she focuses on finding these exceptional entrepreneurs and the great ideas that will transform healthcare and then providing investment and innovation strategies they need to capitalize on opportunities we're seeing in the market today. Previously, Lisa was Senior Manager Director of GE Ventures, where she was responsible for leading their healthcare venture investing activities, including investments in healthcare IT, healthcare services, and their points of intersection with medical technology and the pharmaceutical industry. Earlier, Lisa spent 15 years as a partner at the Silos Group, where she built an enviable track record of betting on startups that went on to reward their investors with successful and lucrative exits. Lisa is a trusted and sought after advocate and thought leader. She co-founded C-Sweetener, a not-for-profit organization that uses technology and know-how to connect women new to and nearing the C-Suite with female and male mentors who have been there, done that, and have a desire to give back. Lisa serves on several advisory boards, including the California Healthcare Foundation Innovation Fund, the NASA Translational Research Institute, Health Excel, an international uh, digital health partnering organization, and Qualcomm Life, where we serve together. She was recently appointed by Governor Jerry Brown to serve on the Advisory Council of the State of California Initiative to Advance Precision Medicine. Lisa has been recognized for her trailblazing work, honors too numerous to list here. Suffice to say, she's been called a top digital health evangelist a rising star, a female health IT leader to know, and her blog is widely read. And with Dr. David Shaywitz, she produces a podcast called Tech Tonics, focusing on the intersection of people and the passion behind digital health. She and David also co-authored a book, Tech Tonics, Can Passionate Entrepreneurs Heal Healthcare with Technology? Lisa, thank you for joining us today. Hi, it's so great to be here, Joe. So I have to ask, I never have asked you this, so this is a great time for me to ask and for our, our listeners to hear about what, what, where, where did Venture Valkyrie come from? <laughs> Tell us about the, uh, 
the moniker and uh, what it represents to you? You bet. So, um, well, I was a venture capitalist, so I knew I wanted to use the word venture because when I started my blog, which is now, oh boy, probably like 10 or 11 years ago, um, before blogs were popular, um, I had looked on the web and, and there were no women venture capitalists or women healthcare people that I could find writing blogs. Um, but I wanted to use the word venture and I'm kind of like a English nut. So I like alliteration and silly stuff like that. But it occurred to me that the Valkyries were the Norse goddesses who ride over the soldiers into war and decide who gets to go to heaven. And I thought that was an apt metaphor for venture capital, uh, snarky as it may be. I thought it was funny and it alliterated. So there you go. That's how it came up. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, no matter what you call it, people are clamoring for an audience with you. Uh, You've heard pitches from literally thousands of hopeful entrepreneurs and have a key eye on finding the gems, the ideas that uh, with the most potential and the concepts that have the promise to change healthcare. And I know our listeners are interested to hear the things you look for in a company, uh, a product or an idea that tells you that it's worth more of your time and that it's going to be a success. So let's get right to it. What are the things that young companies need to think about when pitching their ideas to investors? And uh, the second half of it is what things that send up, what are the things that send up a red flag? Yeah, so um, I think, you know, the most important couple of things, I mean, everybody always says it's about the people and, and the truth is it's really about the people. So <laughs> when people come in and they are dynamic uh, creative, thoughtful, driven, you know, that's the first thing you look for. And then the second thing is, you know, is this a original idea? And not everything that's has to be an original idea to be good, but after seeing thousands of these things, I definitely prefer things that have some originality to them. I don't want to fund the 11th, you know, whatever. Um, and then, and then not only is it original, but is it solving a real problem in the industry? I think too many people get enamored with technology for the sake of technology without regard to the problem they're solving and the customer's demands. And so that, you know, really having a deep understanding of, of a customer's challenges and how what they're doing, whether it's a product or a service or whatever it is, will solve that and that they've done the time and work it takes to figure that out really matters to me a lot. And then lastly is sort of rational claims. I mean, all too often people come in with, you know, crazy wild claims of either what they can achieve, the timeline they can achieve it in, the amount of money it will take to achieve it, usually I'm guessing on the low side. And if they haven't really got a handle on the, some of the basics, you know, it always makes you worry. That's so interesting you say that. I uh, there's a guy, and I'm trying to remember his name, doesn't matter, but instead of blogging, he sends a, a newsletter uh, by email weekly, and I get his newsletter. He's a, an investment banker, and, and he has uh, all these little quips and truisms, but one that I always like is, uh, tell me what it is about your business that people will pay you for, and will they pay you enough for you to make a profit? Pretty simple stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's fundamental. I mean, I, I can tell you how many people come in and they haven't thought about who's going to pay and why they're going to pay in yeah. any kind of thoughtful way. And, you know, in healthcare, as you well know, the user of the product is often not the payer for the product. <laughs> yeah. So closing that gap from a product uh, standpoint is really essential, understanding how you align incentives with what you're doing. Hmm. You have lessons learned from uh, some of the winners that you've uh, worked alongside uh, over the years. 
Yeah, I think the companies that, you know, really um, are, are transparent with themselves and with the boards and the investors, companies that are honest with themselves, you know, about what's going right and what's going wrong, companies that invest in the marketing and sales understanding early. I mean, I, so many companies don't think about their marketing and sales and distribution plan until the product's done. And that is like way, way too late because mm. how you sell it and who you sell it to will often drive how you think about packaging the product. So I always think about that. Um, lessons learned for sure are like always, if you got to spend an extra buck to get the right person, get them. It's always mm. worth it. Uh, always people, whenever people compromise on the quality of the team, they always regret it mm. 100% of the time. Um, and the truisms that I've learned are it always takes more time and costs more money than you think it's going to. So, you know, assume assume that. Assume the worst, you know, so you can think about how to manage the business effectively and, you know, while that occurs. Yeah. Yeah. Really, those are great, uh, great tips. It is uh, interesting. I'm advising a company now that's uh, early stage enough that they have, I think, maybe two customers and they're it's an interesting technology and it's related to dermatology, which is why I decided to advise. But mm -hmm. uh, listening to the CEO who I'm uh, uh, quite uh, impressed by, and I keep asking her, so why are people investing? What is it? And it's an interesting learning experience for me to, to hear her uh, talk about, the, she's at angel stage, so to hear her talk about how various angels are making the decision to, mm -hmm. to invest. It's a, so I think it's much easier, you tell me it's your business, but it seems to me much easier when, when you're at that um, private equity stage or later on where things are pretty concrete, but very early seems to me the hardest. Yeah, I think, that, well, I mean, it is the hardest, you know, because you're trying to figure out whether your idea is even good and, and if it is, you know, what parts of it are good and what parts of it are not good. And, you know, I think that, and you don't have any clue. I mean, it's, you know, I feel, I feel for entrepreneurs having been one myself. I mean, it, you, you always wonder, you know, if you're making the right assumptions and you pretty much, if you're smart and experienced, you know, you're not. Um, yeah. and so, you know, the balancing act of that is, is really challenging. It's a lot different challenge than how do I scale what I know is working? I don't mm -hmm. know one's harder than the other, but the one at the beginning is a lot riskier, it's riskier uh, yeah. in terms of survival of the company. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, so I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. I, I wanna talk uh, in as much detail as, as you're comfortable with about uh, the role of women in the investment industry and, and the way you've paved uh, a path for others, which we're all quite proud of. I um, was thrilled when you asked them to be uh, a mentor and C-sweetener, I really enjoyed that experience. Uh, and I think it's a really interesting organization. So that's just one example. I mean, you've uh, you've set your own example by being an investor, by being a dominant uh, figure in digital health and digital health investing. Um, I guess people are going to want to know what what um, again lessons learned, how how to be able to um, survive in such a male-dominated world, and not just survive, but to really stand out, and then. Uh, how we can help correct that going forward. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I'm very comfortable talking about this because I think we, if we don't talk about it, we don't get to fix it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think, and I think a part of the solution lies in, in not just women acting, but men and women acting together. I think there are actually a lot of a lot of men like you who actually believe that diversity is valuable and and you know the diversity of interests and, and thinking adds more, not less, and um, you know that group think is not useful think. Um, you know, it's tough because venture capital is a very clubby type of um, field. It's very small number of people who work in venture capital is not that many. And by and large, you hire people, you know, um, mm-hmm. because you're building a partnership and partnerships, um, especially partnerships at work are, you know, even more intense sometimes than marriages because you spend more time together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people tend to know people like themselves and, and tend to hire people like themselves. But the research out there shows pretty expansively that gender diversity drives better profits, better business outcomes all around. And there have been numerous studies, you know, too many to recount that demonstrate that. So if you choose to ignore it, it's at your peril, particularly since as a a venture investor, your whole job description is make more money than you started with. So, you know, I think that folks in the industry who aren't waking up to this are going to get left behind. And I think that the investors in venture funds, the limited partners, are starting to really bang the drum on this more actively, which is great. You have to, you know, agree to, you know, make a plan. You got to bring people in. If you don't bring them at the top, bring them in in the middle or the bottom and and Mm -hmm. help them come up and learn. And I also think women are responding to the difficulty in this field by starting their own funds. So we're starting to see a lot of that, which Mm. I think is great. So if you can't beat them, join them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I think success will breed success. I mean, the more these funds prove that they're effective, um, as some will, just like you know, some of the, the the traditional venture funds, some are good, some are bad, and that'll be the same mm-hmm. with the women's run venture funds. But the good ones will prove that there's you know reason for hope. And I think um, you know, women uh, you know have to decide to get to do what it takes to feel more confident to step out in the field. I, I feel, you know, concerned that still I think confidence is the number one challenge for women in being themselves, in demanding more. Um, you know, women are socialized to think, you know, oh, I shouldn't be assertive and I shouldn't ask for too much and, oh, I'm not qualified and yada, yada, yada. We hear these messages all day long. You have to decide that you're not going to accept that. And I think for me and, um, you know, trying to adopt that attitude um, has been really helpful. Just just assume it's going to be good and move forward. Um, It doesn't always work, but it certainly helps. I want to emphasize something you said, because it kind of gets lost in the um, in the uh, progressive nature of the conversation. and, And 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 I have been preaching this myself around here for some time now, but not just gender diversity, but just cultural, just generally having a diverse group yields a better business. And that has, as you say, there's plenty of research to back that up. Uh, It is interesting that one of the uh, things that I hear when you go to hear venture capitalists at panels and whatnot um, talk about 
some of the red flags. We, we were just on this topic. One of them says, uh, I remember uh, it was a gentleman saying, well, if I see three, four engineers show up, four, uh, uh, you know, they're the same uh, four male engineers, then uh, I'm pretty sure that's not a good team. But focusing really on the engineer part as opposed to the male part. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's it's the next level of that thinking that we need to, to get to is that, uh, as you said, it just makes better business sense. You look at problems differently. You look at yeah. solutions differently. You have more creativity. Yeah, it's funny. I think, you know, certainly there's rotten people out there, but I think most of the men who are perpetuating these not so great gender diversity situations are very unintentionally doing so. Yeah, um, they I think too so too. Have been socialized in a certain way, and I have had guys I know who I know well, respect, and like say to me, "My God, I never thought of that." You know, when I walked into their boardroom and you know, there's eight white men and or into their office, and you know, <laughs> my most favorite example is a gynecology surgery company I used to be involved with that had pretty much no women involved in it. And, um, you know, like, I was like, guys, you might consider a girl, you know, <laughs> Since that's pretty much who I think the product's going to be used on by and large. And, you know, it was like, oh yeah, good idea. No, not such a great idea. It's a really basic idea. Think about it. You know, I was like, mm. wow, it's, it's amazing to me sometimes, you know, what gets mm. missed that, that shouldn't. So, so that for that, let, let's digress a little bit and tell, tell us a little bit more about C. Sweetener. What was the inspiration? How's it going? Just tell, tell our listeners that story. Yeah, C. Sweetener was founded uh, out of two things. One, I was a fellow at the Aspen Institute on the Health Innovation Fellowship, and we had to do a project. And I was casting around trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do because, frankly, uh, I couldn't come up with a good idea. Um, and I was at the same time now on the last day the project was due um, in terms of the proposal sitting at my desk going through my Friday left it to the last minute emails and I often in an average week will get 10 to 15 requests often from women although sometimes from men asking for advice mentorship Mm -hmm. could you just help me with my business plan could you give me some thoughts about my career blah 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 I don't know why I get so many, probably because I'm visible out there at conferences and Mm -hmm. things. But in any event, it's overwhelming. And I don't have the time to give every person half an hour if there's 10 or 15 of them a week. And I always feel really bad when I say no because, I mean, I'd like to help everybody, but I just can't. So I was sitting there thinking to myself, wouldn't it be great if you could just like outsource this if there was like a batch.com for people to find mentors, you know? And I went, oh, wait, I could do that. And so really, that's what C-Sweetener is. It's a it's a Match.com style product on the web that um, allows women who are senior level in companies, so either C-Suite or very close to the C-Suite, in all size companies, to find and match both content and, and interest-wise and personality-wise with mentors who are men or women who want to be helpful. And there's a lot of people that want to be helpful. You, me, and most of the people I know who've been you know, working a long time do feel like it's incumbent upon them to give back and that they enjoy that. But they don't really have a clear avenue to do that either except for the same thing, you know, a bunch of emails of random people. Um, and so this way, mentees, women can find advice that's private, that's outside their company. Because you know, a lot of there's a lot of mentor programs that are inside companies, but you get no privacy and 
certainly you're not going to talk to your colleague about, you know, hey, I hate this job and I'd like to change it. What do you think I should do? Um, <laughs> although a lot of the con- you know, discussions are not about that. They're about, you know, confidence. They're about growth. They're about um, how do I think about my business model differently? You know, all kinds of things. And um, it costs $500 for somebody to, to join and use the service. They get 12 sessions a year with uh, one or 12 people, whatever they want, and they can really put the conversation in whatever category they want. Uh, so far, people have loved it. I mean, it's pretty small. Still, we have a few hundred mentees and a few hundred mentors. We have a couple programs with companies that have asked us to do stuff for their senior leadership. We've um, gotten wonderful sponsors, uh, companies that care about diversity and have been very generous with their cash to support it. And so it's fun, you know, and, um, it's on the web at csweetener.org. Yeah, that's fabulous. Well, the industry owes you a debt of gratitude for that little uh, uh, moment there that you thought it up. And, of course, then executing and delivering on your, your idea, which is uh, 90%, I think, of, of success. So congratulations. We, we're all, as I said earlier, I'm pleased to be part of it. We're all uh, looking forward to seeing in the next uh, few years the results of... of uh, having this mentorship uh, happen. Um, well, our, our listeners are dying to know. You, you uh, were quite public with your announcement that you had le- left GE Ventures. I think it was a couple of years. And so, of course, everyone literally in the industry wants to know what's next for Lisa Suna. <laughs> Everybody should probably need to get a hobby if they're all worried about me. But um, I... Um... You know, I'm excited to, to say that I'm, I'm joining um, Manat, Phelps, which is um, a really prestigious organization, professional services organization, known historically as a law firm, but they also have a very large healthcare consulting group. But they've asked me to come in and be the group lead for their digital technology group, which will encompass the legal, it'll encompass the consulting, it'll encompass other professional services that make sense for the organization encompass broadly the technology intersection with healthcare, but also technology outside of healthcare. And I'll also be leading their venture fund. They have a venture fund of their own. Um, in addition to that, um, really excited. I know these people a long time. They're wonderful people and have, you know, top notch clients. And I think there's a lot of work to be done together here, building, um, a venture practice, tech practice, um, building on what they've already had and um, expanding their horizons even beyond in healthcare where they've been. That's amazing. So no slowing down for sure. That's like taking uh, uh, three or four new jobs on at once. My daughter tells me I'm the lousiest take time offer person she's ever seen. And uh, I think I'm proving her right. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations uh, on that. We look forward to watching how that unfolds. And I'm sure uh, we'll be learning more and more as time goes on. That's great. Thank you. Um, so I can't I can't let you go before getting the um, really the seasoned uh, perspective that you bring to innovation and what's coming. Uh, people are really wanting to know what someone with your lens on the industry has in terms of what you see the trends that are coming. Where should people be focusing their not only their investment dollars but their entrepreneurial energies? Uh, tell us about what do you think are, are is going to be unfolding in the next uh, few years, the big winners, the sleepers. Give us your sense. Um, 
Well, I'm really gratified to see the swing back to services because I think there was way too much emphasis on technology over the last few years. Not that technology is not important. It is. But it's only important to the extent it improves services to people. I'm really gratified to see the swing to think about business models for delivering social determinants of health effectively to people. Um, I think, again, there's you know plenty of research that shows that that's probably as or more important than the medical interventions many, many mm -hmm. times. And so we really need to figure out how to build that into the medical system in a useful way. So I'm, I'm interested in companies that are doing that. We shall see if they can be financially successful. I hope so. Um, I um, think that the all these frontier technologies like AI and virtual reality and blockchain and all this stuff will find their place in healthcare. Um, but I think it's pretty early. And um, if you look around at, at the experiments that are going on, I call them experiments. They call themselves companies, but I mostly call them experiments. You know, it's been there's not been a lot of you know significant progress yeah. yet. It's all very early stage, but I do think, you know, when people step beyond thinking about the technology and into the, how do you actually make the delivery of care better, the delivery of operational efficiency better with these things, there will be a lot of growth. I think there's too much noise in these channels. I think we're going to see a lot of fallout in the next three years in digital health. Um, there's way too many things called companies that are really products or even features and most of those will not succeed and they won't get further financed. I also think we may be heading into a recession soon. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but I kind of feels like it's in the wind and that always causes a massive clean out of, of early stage mm -hmm. companies. Um, and, and only the strong survive. Um, so I think companies that have really heavily invested in sales, you know, marketing, understanding the customer needs the stuff I said mm -hmm. earlier, they're the ones that are going to make it. So I think doubling down on focusing on those things when you invest is important. Um, you know, and if you think of, and then just lastly, if you think about the age wave, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a tsunami. Yeah. It's not a wave, right? Um, how do you serve the aging population? Not, and not all of them are, are sick. I mean, how do you, think about financial health and health together how do you think about you know housing how do you think about engagement in a technological world for the the population that's turning 65 at a 10,000 a day rate how do you really serve this population effectively um, in all fashion in all facets not just thinking about you know cardiovascular disease and stroke and the stuff we all think about but more broadly, you know, in a operating in the system that includes health, I think that's going to be a huge opportunity. Enormous, and and uh, yeah, I love that you brought that up because it's uh, it's it's like such a puzzle. At, at, at we we think about uh, our older demographic and and really in uh, almost insulting terms, like well, they don't get technology. They're they're old and feeble. I mean, as you know, there's more and more folks that break all of those norms and yeah. uh, we have to design. I think, you know, our friend Charlotte Ye, who we also featured on this very podcast, said it well when she said design for all, not just design for elderly. So absolutely. Well, I like that. And I also like your your uh, call out for for 
emerging businesses to focus on the basics. And I too think that's uh, really important. And it, as you've said earlier, I'll just emphasize another thing that I, I have the same experience. People seem to think that that's a bit of a mystery, uh, but it's core and key to success. And I bet if we went through and picked out whoever you consider winners, Omada maybe is a good example, uh, but that's that they had just sound business decisions made uh, as well as having an interesting uh, product and, and all the other things. So right. uh, that's something our listeners can take take to the bank, literally. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, my advice to people, and, and I think Sean Duffy's a great example of this, is like don't fall too much in love with your idea because parts of it aren't going to work. And so like really being yeah. flexible and understanding that it's a journey, not, you know, not, a, not an event is um, essential. Yeah. Well, Lisa, thanks so much for spending time with us. Do you have, is there something else you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask or did you uh, want to emphasize any points that you made? No, I really, you know, I guess the one thing I'd say is I'd love to see more focus on pediatric innovation. I know there are a lot of pediatric hospitals working hard on this, but in the, but in the venture world, it's viewed as sort of, eh, you know, not a big enough market, yada, yada. But that's just awful. Yeah, <laughs> it sure think, is. We could, you know, be like today's children are tomorrow's adults, you know, so the market gets bigger. And I <laughs> yeah. think it's important to to be thinking about pediatric health in a more thoughtful way, not just rare disease, but actually health, teaching kids how to be healthy from their youth. Um, you know, I really, I wish I saw more there because I think it would make a difference in all of our whining about what happens to people as they age if we took care of people better when they were young. Well spoken. Well, thanks for spending the time with us uh, today, and uh, I hope to see you in person soon. Look forward to it, Joe. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavita. A special thanks from me personally to Tony McMillan, our engineer, and Lynn Josephson, our senior marketing manager, for putting this series together. If you enjoyed our show and want to know more, visit our website at partners.org forward slash Connected Health, all one word. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Connected Health. For more episodes of our series, search Partners Connected Health on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.